Chapter Twelve of Equanimitas by Sir William Osler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Twelve Books and Men. How easily, how secretly, how safely in books do we make bare without shame the poverty of human ignorance these are the masters that instruct us without rod and ferule without words of anger without payment of money or clothing should ye approach them they are not asleep if ye seek to question them they do not hide themselves should ye err they do not chide and should ye show ignorance they know not how to laugh. O books, ye alone are free and liberal. Ye give to all that seek, and set free all that serve you zealously. Richard de Bury Books delight us when prosperity sweetly smiles. They stay to comfort us when cloudy fortune frowns. They lend strength to human compacts, and without them, grave judgments may not be propounded. Richard de Bury For books are not absolutely dead things, but do contain a potency of life in them, to be as active as that soul was whose progeny they are. Nay, they do preserve, as in a vial, the purest efficacy and extraction of that living intellect that bred them. John Milton Aereo Pagatica Chapter 12 Books and Men Delivered at the Boston Medical Library, 1901 Those of us from other cities who bring congratulations this evening can hardly escape the tinglings of envy when we see this noble treasure-house. But in my own case, the bitter waters of jealousy which rise in my soul are at once diverted by two strong sensations. In the first place, I have a feeling of lively gratitude towards this library. In 1876, as a youngster interested in certain clinical subjects, to which I could find no reference in our library at McGill. I came to Boston, and I here found what I wanted, and I found, moreover, a cordial welcome and many friends. It was a small matter I had in hand, but I wished to make it as complete as possible, and I have always felt that this library helped me to a good start. It has been such a pleasure." in recurring visits to the library, to find Dr. Brigham in charge, with the same kindly interest in visitors that he showed a quarter of a century ago. But the feeling which absorbs all others is one of deep satisfaction that our friend, Dr. Chadwick, has at last seen fulfilled the desire of his eyes. To few is given the tenacity of will, which enables a man to pursue a cherished purpose through a quarter of a century.
One hast, aber one rust. Tis his favorite quotation. To fewer still is the fruition granted. Too often the reaper is not the sower. Too often the fate of those who labor at some object for the public good is to see their work pass into other hands and to have others get the credit for enterprises which they have initiated and made possible. It has not been so with our friend, and it intensifies a thousandfold the pleasure of this occasion to feel the fitness in every way of the felicitations which have been offered to him. It is hard for me to speak of the value of libraries in terms which would not seem exaggerated. Books have been my delight these thirty years, and from them I have received incalculable benefits. To study the phenomena of disease without books is to sail an uncharted sea, while to study books without patience is not to go to sea at all. Only a maker of books can appreciate the labours of others at their true value. Those of us who have brought forth fat volumes should offer hecatombs at these shrines of Minerva Medica. What exucus, attenuated offspring, would have been but for the pabulum furnished through the placental circulation of a library? How often can it be said of us with truth? Das best was erist, verdunkel er endern. For the teacher and the worker, a great library such as this is indispensable. They must know the world's best work, and know it at once. They mint and make current coin, the ore so widely scattered in journals, transactions, and monographs. The splendid collections which now exist in five or six of our cities, and the unique opportunities of the Surgeon General's library, have done much to give to American medicine a thoroughly eclectic character. But when one considers the unending making of books, who does not sigh for the happy days of that thrice happy Sir William Brown, whose pocket library sufficed for his life's needs, drawing from a Greek testament his divinity, from the aphorisms of Hippocrates his medicine, and from an Elzevir Horace his good sense and vivacity? There should be in connection with every library a corps of instructors in the art of reading who would, as a labour of love, teach the young idea how to read. An old writer says that there are four sorts of readers, sponges which attract all without distinguishing, hourglasses which receive and power out as fast, bags which only retain the dregs of the spices and let the wine escape, and sieves which retain the best only. A man wastes a great many years before he reaches the sieve stage. For the general practitioner, a well-used library is one of the few correctives of the premature senility which is so apt to overtake him. Self-centred, self-taught, he leads a solitary life, 
and unless his everyday experience is controlled by careful reading or by the attrition of a medical society it soon ceases to be one of the slightest value and becomes a mere accretion of isolated facts without correlation it is astonishing with how little reading a doctor can practice medicine but it is not astonishing how badly he may do it not three months ago a physician living within an hour's ride of the surgeon general's library brought to me his little girl aged twelve the diagnosis of infantile myoxedema Oxidema. the diagnosis of infantile myxedema required only a half glance in placid contentment he had been practicing twenty years in sleepy hollow and not even when his own flesh and blood was touched did he rouse from an apathy deep as rip van winkle's sleep in reply to questions no he had never seen anything in the journals about the thyroid gland he had seen no pictures of cretinism or mike's edema in fact his mind was a blank on the whole subject he had not been a reader he said but he was a practical man with very little time i could not help thinking of john bunyan's remarks on the elements of success in the practice of medicine physicians he says get neither name nor fame by the pricking of wheels or the picking out thistles or by laying of plasters to the scratch of a pin every old woman can do this but if they would have a name and a fame if they will have it quickly they must do some great and desperate cures let them fetch one to life that was dead let them recover one to his wits that was mad let them make one that was born blind to see or let them give ripe wits to a fool these are notable cures and he that can do thus if he dost thus first he shall have the name and fame he deserves he may lie abed till noon had my doctor friend been a reader he might have done a great and notable cure and even have given ripe wits to a fool it is in utilizing the fresh knowledge of the journals that the young physician may attain quickly to the name and fame he desires there is a third class of men in the profession to whom books are dearer than to teachers or practitioners a small a silent band but in reality the leaven of the whole lump the profane call them bibliomaniacs and in truth they are at times irresponsible and do not always know the difference between meum and tuum in the presence of dr billings or of dr chadwick i dare not further characterize them loving books partly for their contents partly for the sake of the authors they not alone keep alive the sentiment of historical continuity in the profession but they are the men who make possible such gatherings as the one we are enjoying this evening we need more men of their class particularly in this country 
where everyone carries in his pocket the tape measure of utility. Along two lines, their work is valuable. By the historical method alone can many problems in medicine be approached profitably. For example, the student who dates his knowledge of tuberculosis from Coach may have a very correct, but he has a very incomplete, appreciation of the subject. Within a quarter of a century, our libraries will have certain alcoves devoted to the historical consideration of the great diseases, which will give to the student that mental perspective which is so valuable an equipment in life. The past is a good nurse, as Lowell remarks, particularly for the weanlings of the fold. Tis man's worst deed to let the things that have been run to waste, and in the unmeaning present sink the past. But in a more excellent way, these laudatores temporis acti render a loyal service. For each one of us today, as in Plato's time, there is a higher as well as a lower education. The very marrow and fitness of books may not suffice to save a man from becoming a poor, mean-spirited devil, without a spark of fine professional feeling, and without a thought above the sordid issues of the day. The men I speak of keep alive in us an interest in the great men of the past, and not alone in their works, which they cherish, but in their lives, which they emulate. They would remind us continually that in the records of no other profession is there to be found so large a number of men who have combined intellectual preeminence with nobility of character. This higher education, so much needed today, is not given in the school, is not to be bought in the marketplace, but it has to be wrought out in each one of us for himself. It is the silent influence of character on character, and in no way more potently than in the contemplation of the lives of the great and good of the past, in no way more than in the touch divine of noble natures gone. I should like to see in each library a select company of the immortals set apart for special adoration. Each country might have its representatives in a sort of alcove of fame, in which the great medical classics were gathered, not necessarily books, more often the epoch-making contributions to be found in ephemeral journals. It is too early, perhaps, to make a selection of American medical classics, but it might be worth while to gather suffrages in regard to the contributions which ought to be placed upon our roll of honour. A few years ago I made out a list of those I thought the most worthy, which I carried down to 1850, and it has a certain interest for us this evening. The native modesty of the Boston physician is well known, but in certain circles there has been associated with it a curious psychical phenomenon, 
a conviction of the utter worthlessness of the status presens in new england as compared with conditions existing elsewhere there is a variety today of the back bay brahmin who delights in cherishing the belief that medically things are everywhere better than in boston and who is always ready to predict an asiatic removal of candlesticks to borrow a phrase from cotton mother strange indeed would it have been had not such a plastic profession as ours felt the influences which moulded new england into the intellectual centre of the new world in reality nowhere in the country has the profession been adorned more plentifully with men of culture and of character not voluminous writers or exploiters of the products of other men's brains and they managed to get a full share on the roll of fame which i have suggested to eighteen fifty i have counted some twenty contributions of the first rank contributions which for one reason or another deserve to be called american medical classics new england takes ten but in medicine the men she has given to the other parts of the country have been better than books men like nathan r smith austin flint willard parker alonzo clark elisha bartlett john c dalton and others carried away from their new england homes a love of truth a love of learning and above all a proper estimate of the personal character of the physician dr johnson shrewdly remarked that ambition was usually proportionate to capacity which is as true of a profession as it is of a man what we have seen to-night reflects credit not less on your ambition than on your capacity a library after all is a great catalyzer accelerating the nutrition and rate of progress in a profession and i am sure you will find yourselves the better for the sacrifice you have made in securing this home for your books this workshop for your members end of chapter 12 books and men recording by luke sartor griffith new south wales